Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 49 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. Thotty Pippin, a.k.a. Bootleg Captain Crunch. No way, I mean Camara Crunch, a.k.a. Nerlens All L's, or I guess his name is Nerlens No L's. But regardless, I have an exciting show for you all today. I am going to spill some tea on a recent lawsuit filed by New York Nick Nerlens Noels on Clutch Sports and Rich Paul. I am going to give you all the two-minute warning where I break down all the hottest sports stories of the week in two minutes or less. I'm going to get into what is underrated anymore, and particularly the best pound the over bets in the NFL this season. We are going to get into Fly Route Fantasy Fridays, where I give you all the nitty-gritty tips and tricks you need to win your fantasy league. And last, but always not least, I'm going to give a big, big, big baller's bouquet to Carson Wentz of the Indianapolis Colts. The Fly Route Pod. The Fly Route Pod. The Fly Route Pod. The Fly Route Pod. Welcome to the tee off. Oh, spill that tea, sis. This is how I like to start the show off. I like to spill some tea on our favorite athletes and some of the crazy situations they get themselves into. And today, today we got to talk about Nerlens Noel's former sixth pick in the NFL draft in 2013, former University of Kentucky Wildcat. Play for the 76ers, the Mavericks, the Thunder, and now the Knicks. And Nerlens Noel is suing Rich Paul and Clutch Sports, claiming that he lost $58 million in potential salary while being represented by Rich Paul from 2017 to 2020. And if y'all don't already know, Rich Paul is that dude. He's a LeBron close friend and confidant. He is a super agent under Clutch Sports, representing the likes of LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Lonzo Ball, Trey Young, Draymond Green, John Wall, Ben Simmons, Anthony Edwards, and a lot more. So he clearly has a lot of the marquee superstar NBA talent on his roster. Now, before we get into all the nitty gritty details of this story, which trust me are good, we have to talk about the timing of this story. And the timing is very particular because just recently, Rich Paul filed a grievance with the NBA Player Association for $200,000 that he believes he's owed in agent fees for Nerland Noel's last contract with the New York Knicks. Now, right after that happened, Nerlens Noel ends up filing this lawsuit. And I got into the actual text of this lawsuit because it was actually filed here in Dallas County because it was stemming from when he played for the Dallas Mavericks. So let's get into the biggest vantage point for this. As you have to understand, at the beginning of this story, Nerlens Noel is being represented by an agent named Happy Walters. And Happy Walters has secured the entire bag for Nerlens Noels, getting him a four-year, $70 million contract with the Dallas Mavericks. That's $17.5 million a year. Now, over that summer, Nerlens Noel hanging out with Ben Simmons at a Ben Simmons birthday party. Ben Simmons is also a clutch client, as I mentioned, and he meets Rich Paul. Interestingly enough, free agent Nerlens Noel is sat right next to Rich Paul during Ben Simmons' birthday dinner party. And during this dinner party, he's talking to Rich. He lets him know about his four-year, $70 million deal. And Rich Paul convinces him that he should turn down this four-year, $70 million, all guaranteed, $17.5 million a year contract and instead take a qualifying offer, which would be a one-year contract for $4.1 million. And he says that this is the right decision because after he plays out that one-year contract, he will be an unrestricted free agent. 
meaning that the Dallas Mavericks will no longer have the right of first refusal to any contract he signs. And he says that after that year, he will make Nerlens Noel a $100 million man. And honestly, Rich Paul has to be one of the smoothest talking motherfuckers on the planet. Because after this dinner, Nerlens Noel fires his agent, Happy Walters, hires Rich Paul, and then accepts that qualifying offer. Now, fortunately, after accepting that qualifying offer, he breaks his thumb during the season, misses 42 of the 82 games during the season that year, and then ends up having to sign a minimum contract with OKC. Two-year deal. Opts out of the second year and ends up having to sign another minimum contract with OKC before then signing another contract with the New York Knicks. And to put this in perspective, from that three years, he had $8.7 million. 3.7 over the two years in OKC, five his one year in New York. Over those three years, he turned down $17.5 million a year, $70 million straight guaranteed. Now, a lot of people are seeing some comparisons to this situation with Dennis Schroeder, and I get it. Dennis reportedly turned down a four-year, $84 million extension with the Lakers, believing he, too, was also a $100 million man. He bet on himself, performed poorly in the playoffs, and then the free agent market for him shrunk and ended up, ended up having to sign a $5.9 million one-year deal with the Boston Celtics. He was ridiculed endlessly about it all over NBA Twitter and all NBA media, really. But what's the difference between these two situations? Because a lot of people have written off Nerlens Noel as just a Dennis Schroeder situation. You bet on yourself, you got injured, and now you want to complain about it. And this is actually where I think the most important part of this lawsuit comes up. Because he is saying that Rich Paul played him and didn't actually do his job. It's not just that like he turned down a deal that was probably in hindsight good. It was what happened after that. Now, he is saying in this lawsuit that Rich Paul violated his fiduciary duty. And that is a legalese term that I want to break down for everybody here. Fiduciary duty is basically the idea that you and your job is the fact that you have to work in your client's best financial interest. And this can be broken down in three different forms of duty. There's the duty of care, which is just the attention that you pay to your client, your client's deals, etc. There's the duty of loyalty in which you are supposed to be working for your client, not different clients and having that manipulate your client's deal or different parties, actors, etc. And the last is duty of obedience, which is just like you do what Nerlens Noel tells you to do at the end of the day. And Nerlens Noel is really saying that he violated those first two duties, care and loyalty. So Nerlens Noel is claiming that Rich Paul didn't even try to do his job the season after he got injured because he was no longer the $100 million man that Rich Paul was interested in. His lawsuit claims, and I will quote this, in 2018 free agency, Paul nor anyone at Clutch Sports presented any real proposals to Noel in terms of strategies or, or ideas on how Noel might secure a long-term contract or even a significant contract. So he signs that minimum deal with OKC. He says that he was recruited by Paul George and Russell Westbrook, and Paul basically didn't do anything. Then 2019 free agency comes around. He says the same thing happens. So he resigns again with OKC. Now, here is the death nail for me, because if he can prove this part, Rich Paul is fucked, and he should be. Now, Noel says that Brett Brown, former 76ers coach, said that the 76ers tried to contact Rich Paul and Clutch Sports about Noel's Noel, and that Paul did not take and or return any of their calls about Noel. He says he learned the same thing from multiple other teams, such as the Houston Rockets and the L.A. Clippers. He says Paul also did zero work on his New York Knicks contract that he is asking for the $200,000 from. 
and that, that deal was done by Leon Rose, and all Paul did was sign it. So this is huge because I've seen a lot of people taking the Rich Paul side on this, which is easy to do when you're making waves like Rich Paul is and all the great clients Rich Paul has. It's even easier to do when people are making the jokes like, oh, did Rich Paul manipulate the West so Nolan's Noel couldn't be a threat to LeBron? Like, obviously, LeBron's not scared of Nolan's Noel. Come on. But this is really more important because it requires no conspiracy theory to think Rich Paul has done something incredibly wrong. Just that, like, you have so many other clients at priority. I showed you that list of people. Trey Young, Ben Simmons, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, like John Wall, Draymond Green, so many other higher profile clients, way more money clients, way more commission clients that Nerlens Noel gets put on the back burner. And while it's okay that Nerlens Noel might not get Rich Paul's personal touch, he definitely has to get the touch of someone at Clutch Sports, period. That is their fiduciary duty. So if people are making calls trying to give Nerlens Noel a contract, and I, I can almost guarantee you it's not four years, $70 million, but shit, if they're talking three for 30, that's huge for him. That's more money than he's made over those, 10, over those three years that he was represented by Clutch. That is massive. So if that's true, Paul is dead in the wrong. What he's done is absolutely unacceptable. He's violated the very tenets of being someone's agent. He should probably have to pay Noah's Noel all that money and some punitive damages. And it's going to be a really big black stain on Clutch Sports, which this is not an unfamiliar complaint for Clutch clients, which is something that's specifically referenced in Nerlens Noel's lawsuit. So it's just interesting to me how that works because there's a lot of BS surrounding Rich Paul. A lot of criticisms of Rich Paul, I believe, to be completely BS. The like, he can't be impartial because of LeBron. The he's funneling clients to the Lakers for LeBron, such as like Anthony Davis, that he shouldn't be able to do what he does because he lacks his traditional education. And all of these criticisms generally to me, I feel are quite terrible, usually function within a lot of coded language that I find troubling. But if this particular complaint is true, this is a huge hit to Rich Paul's credibility. Bad advice for turning down the $70 million is one thing. A lot of agents give bad advice. That is not an uncommon thing for anybody with an agent to say. Now, not answering calls? That is huge. Nerlens all else, as I'm going to call him here, could be absolutely cheeks at the game of basketball. And he would be completely entitled to every penny that he is suing Rich Paul for if they are simply not taking and returning the calls for teams interested in him, because that is the very job that they are supposed to do. Now, after that first season with the Knicks, he terminated his relationship with Clutch Sports, got a new agent, has recently signed a three-year deal with $27.7 million of it that's guaranteed another $4 million of incentives on top of that. So that's basically the three for 30 language that I was talking about earlier with a different agent. But that was your tee off. Oh, 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 spread that tea, sis. Spread that tea, sis. Y'all is Tony Playboy. All right, look, I want to talk to y'all about what makes a team underrated. Generally, I hate this conversation because what you always hear from people is, oh, my favorite team is underrated. They don't get enough credit. Oh, my favorite player is underrated. Do you see what he does on the court or the field or whatever it is? And what is the standard for having an underrated team or player, etc.? Is it that he gets this much media attention but scores this many points or wins that many games? Has that many touchdowns exist, etc.? Is that what it's about? Because that's what I feel like I'm way too often hearing from people, especially NFL, NBA fans. It's all about the media attention. He doesn't get enough credit. 
Let's talk about Drew Holiday. I want to talk about Drew Holiday because I think he's a perfect example for this. Drew Holiday is underrated and gets no attention in New Orleans. That's all we ever heard for years and years and years. All the while, if you asked any star players in the NBA who they think is underrated, just on the All the Smoke podcast alone, Steph Curry, Chris Paul, Trey Young, Bradley Beal, Lou Will, all said one guy, Drew Holiday. Mind you, be two of those guards he beat on his way to a championship. Chris Paul said he always struggles against Drew Holiday. Well, we saw that being true again in the NBA Finals this year. And at that point, because all these interviews were well over a year old at this point, I want to say that Drew Holiday stopped being underrated. That conversation should have ceased to exist. If all the people at the top of the game and your peers are saying how good you are, then you're probably no longer underrated. However, it took a championship run for people to give Drew Holiday the credit that he deserves. If everybody knows you play well, and they let the people know that you play well, you are no longer underrated. Now, your storyline still might not be interesting. You might still play for a small market that doesn't get any attention, so there's not a lot of articles about you. You're not on ESPN frequently, but that doesn't make you underrated no matter how good you are. Now, so from now on, when we talk about underrated teams, I want to think about this. How do you perform against Vegas? The odds, the over-under, are they favored in a lot of games? Are they underdogs pulling off a lot of upsets? Did they beat their projections for wins on the season? Put the money on the table, let all the smart odds makers make their decisions about who is how good they're actually supposed to be. And then let's see how a team does in comparison to that. That is the criteria that I want for what is underrated or overrated. Not the guy that has to crank out his fifth article this week and he decides to talk about Damian Lillard for the sixth time in the last two weeks. Dame is interesting. He has interesting storylines attached to him. Not every player has that. Some players are just really quiet, but very good. So I want to talk to the smart people, the people whose jobs are to make money by being right. What do they think? So based on that, I want to talk about the three most underrated teams in the NFL this season. And when I say that, I mean, these are bets that I think you should pound the over on hard this season. And number one, I want to talk about the Washington football team. They are favored at eight and a half wins. The line is negative 120 plus 100. You bet 100 on the under, you, you win 100 on the under if it's right. You bet 120 to win 100 on the over. Now, look. This is a team that in my original predictions for divisions, I said book them at nine wins. So book them at nine wins is already on the over. They played the NFC East with a fantastic defense and one of the best pass rushes in the NFL. They play the Cowboys twice. Dak is a little banged up, a little hurt. Their old line is old, not what it used to be. They play the Eagles, who are an absolute mess, twice. They play the Giants who've improved significantly, but their biggest deficiency has always been offensive line. Football's won at the line of scrimmage. Now look, they also play the AFC West. They'll play the Chargers, the Giants, the Bills, the Falcons, the Saints, Chiefs, Packers, Broncos, Buccaneers, Panthers, Seattle, Raiders, Eagles, and the Cowboys. I think it's safe to book losses against the Bills. Against the Packers, the Chiefs, the Buccaneers, Seattle, and I will even be a pessimist and say the Chargers. Book those all as L's. That leaves the Giants twice, the Cowboys twice, the Eagles twice, the Falcons, Saints, Broncos, and Raiders. That's 11 games this season where I think the Washington football is just, the Washington football team is just outright the better team. 
or it is at least a coin toss competitive where I think they can come down with the win. This is a team that I think is going to be massively improved. They've added more depth at wide receiver position, getting Curtis Samuels. Their defense is fantastic, and they've added some extra pieces here and there. Chase Young is going into his second year. The Washington football team is underrated this season. Bet the over. Now let's go down to second team. My second team is the Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers are favored at seven and a half wins, negative 150, negative 105. Panthers last year won five games without Christian McCaffrey. Mike Davis was their leading rusher. And they won five games. I'm going to say having Christian McCaffrey back, upgrading from Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback to Sam Darnold for a possibly significantly more explosive offense. All those defensive draft picks from two years back when Matt Rule first got there, getting another year under them, getting more developed into an NFL scheme and system is worth three wins to get to eight. That pounds the over there. They have two 1,000-yard receivers in DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. They added an additional running back in Chuba Hubbard. So even if you're concerned about Christian McCaffrey's durability, they have another possible star behind them. Look, the following teams on their schedule that I think right now, if I say this to you, you aren't shocked that I say that they could beat these teams. Jets, Texans, Eagles, Falcons twice, Cowboys, Giants. That's seven wins right there. Then a couple of teams where they probably lose, but they could grab one or two of these games and grabbing even one of them would put them at the over. The Saints twice, who I don't think the Saints will sweep them. The Vikings, Cardinals, Dolphins, Washington football team. The six other games that we can call they're in the play. They need to get one of those for the over. Several losses that I would not contest, obviously, Patriots, Buccaneers, twice, Bills. Brings me down to my third team. And my third team, I think this is actually the juiciest bet of them all. The Steelers at 8.5, plus 120 for the over, negative 140 for the under. A $100 bet wins you $120 for the Steelers winning nine games. So here's what I'll tell you. The simplest way to understand this is either you think Mike Tomlin is about to have his first losing season in the NFL or you think this team is underrated. That is it. That is it. This team went 8-8 eight and eight with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph as a starting quarterback. This might be the safest over in the entire league this season. I believe Mike Tomlin is such a good coach and this team's defense is so good you can't count them out. They've ranked top seven in points allowed three of the last four years, top six in yards allowed for the last four consecutive seasons. They added a new stud, Najee Harris, in the backfield, which their running game was their biggest weakness last year, and they have tried to fill that hole significantly with a big bruising bat that can break tackles. They still have a good receiving corp. Juju Smith-Schuster, Chase Claypool could possibly break out. Now, Big Ben, another year off surgery, another year more healthy, seems to be taking the offseason way more seriously than he usually does. I'm just going to be shocked if this team goes under 500. And I think most people should be shocked, but apparently Vegas will not. And I think people are really overvaluing that late season collapse last year. So they get the Raiders, the Bengals twice, the Broncos, the Bears, the Lions, the Vikings, the Titans. I feel like these are all relatively safe money wins to me. The Titans and the Vikings being the most risky of those two. Then they get Buffalo. They'll probably lose to Buffalo. Seattle. They'll probably lose to Seattle. The Chargers, I think they can beat the Chargers. They get the Ravens twice the Browns twice, the Chiefs, and the Packers. So unless you think they're going to get swept in division by two divisional opponents, it's hard to think that this team doesn't get at least nine wins. Seattle and the Chargers are really possible wins for them as well. 
Their path to 10 plus wins does not seem unlikely to me at all. Those are the teams that right now I'm kind of shocked to see where the smart people are saying that they're going to end up at. And those are the teams that I think are massively underrated going into this season. What's up, what's up, what's up, playboy? All right, we are going to get into the two-minute warning where I give you all the hottest sports news for the week in two minutes or less. Let's get right into it. All right, Cam Newton and Cole Beasley in the NFL COVID protocol. Cam is out and so is Cole for five days. These things show that they are actively not vaccinated. In the case of Cam Newton, he had a medical appointment that the team knew about and the team approved of. However, he was not tested by NFL staff and instead was tested by an outside agency. That is apparently a big no-no with the NFL's updated COVID protocol. That puts him out five days. He is going to miss the last preseason game. Cole Beasley, on the other hand, a Bills member of a Bills staff member, got COVID and was a close contact to Cole Beasley. Since he is not vaccinated, that puts him out for five days as well. Little mini hype. What does this mean for Cam Newton starting? I think nothing. I think people have massively over blown this i do love the conspiracy theories like the patriots obviously know this and they're just trying to find a smooth way to let mac jones start because the patriots organization would never make such a mistake and let me be honest with you those are always funny but i honestly think everything belichick has said is that cam is the starter in the second preseason game cam looked fantastic getting the ball downfield going through his reads and progressions. And I don't think the gap between Cam Newton and Mac Jones is five days. If Bill ever actually wanted Cam to start, this should have no impact on what happens whatsoever. And I would tell you, book Cam Newton for the week one starter in New England. All right, the Denver Broncos have decided who will be their starting quarterback this year. Teddy Bridgewater has beat out Drew Locke. This was obviously the right move to me, but I have seen, especially on Twitter, some Drew Locke stands defending him and saying that he should have gotten his opportunity. And that made me think, do we really understand how bad Drew Locke was for Denver? 59% completion rating. 23 to 18 touchdown to interception ratio, a 49 and a half QBR. That's not good. Everyone sees the potential in Drew Locke. He's a huge dude, 6'4, 228 pounds, rocket arm, but he uses that arm to throw you out of games. For every interception, he only gives you 1.22, not even a whole quarter touchdowns. I'm just going Fuse how people thought compared to Teddy Bridgewater, he was someone that was clearly supposed to beat him out instead of them just thinking that he won the job by default. Look, Teddy Bridgewater, career completion percentage, 66%. 53 to 36 touchdown and interception ratio. That's basically one and a half touchdowns for every interception. Not great, not world beater stats. QBR 57. But in each of these statistical categories, he is better than Drew Locke. So it shouldn't surprise people that he ends up being the day one started. I said this as soon as he got traded. Sands and Aaron Rodgers trade to Denver, which was all the hype at that time. There was no way that Drew Locke was beating out Teddy Bridgewater this year. Denver wants to be able to play complimentary football to their fantastic defense this season and limit their turnovers with a strong game manager. And that is everything that we know Teddy Bridgewater can be. Moving on, moving on. Sony Michelle gets traded to the LA Rams. 
for a fifth and sixth round pick going to the Patriots. I like this for both teams, but if we want to talk about who won this trade, the Rams absolutely won this trade. They needed, needed Sony Michelle way more than the Patriots needed to get rid of him or needed a fifth or sixth round pick. That is not a bad thing, right? That doesn't mean the Patriots lost this trade. This could definitely be a win-win situation. Sony Michelle was starting to fall out of the rotation for them last season. Saw his lowest carry attempts per game in his entire career. And I think this is an absolute win because Sonny Michelle be- should end up becoming running back one. Yes, running back one with the Rams. New England never was able to showcase his full talent because he never got to be a bell cow style of back. Look, New England was notorious for running multiple backs, four of them in a game. They're all about situational football, impossible to predict who gets the workload any particular week. Michelle fits the Cam Akers model pretty well. A shifty guy, pretty big, can break tackles, isn't the fastest person on the field, but definitely has playmaking capabilities. I think, I think McVay is going to do great things with him. Great things with him. It doesn't surprise me at all if he supplants Henderson by midseason. We are going to save the best for last. And Rachel Nichols doesn't get fired, but she might as well have. And it took some time to come around, but we all know when karma has its aims on you, it does not miss. If you all remember, Rachel Nichols was under hot water for some racially charged remarks she made about Maria Taylor calling her a diversity hire for being able to call and host the NBA Finals. ESPN has recently canceled her daily show, The Jump, and has removed her from all broadcast positions that she had with the NBA. However, they're going to still honor her contract. She's going to get paid. So basically, she's going to get to cast the check, but basically get removed from every position of importance that she had at ESPN. This is ironic, seeing as this entire comment that got her here was all about defending her positions of importance that she had worked and clawed so hard for in the first place oddly enough now if this is not poetic justice i truthfully do not know what is while she is under contract for more than a year at this current point it looks like they are going to replace her show with another show most likely the show max kellerman might get now that he is leaving first take and separating from Stephen a smith and All of this is funny because all you had to do was say nothing. Like Maria Taylor has said nothing, did everything right, did everything the classy way, and went on to cash a bag with NBC. You gotta love to see it. It's a a Playboy affair. All right, we are going to get into Fly Route Fantasy Fridays, and I want to give you all some tips and tricks for winning your draft, and more importantly, your NFL league. I want to talk about sleepers. I want to talk about busts. I want to talk about handcuffs, and I want to talk about understanding ADP. So ADP is average draft position. That's the number that I'm going to be using a lot here to kind of give you all reference. So if someone has an ADP in like the 50s, per se. That means they're being drafted around six or like five, depending on if you have a 10 or a 12 man league. If we're talking the thirties, we're talking around four and three. If we're talking the seventies, we're talking around eight and seven. If we're talking the one tens, get over the hundred mark. We're talking rounds 11 and 10 plus way later on in the draft where I think you can get a lot of your steals. So let's talk about sleepers and what makes a fantasy sleeper for me? The first is very, very high ADP or low ADP, depending on how you want to think about it, i.e. the later in the draft you can get them, the better, but they have a lot of potential, even though consensus ranking sees them as being a lot less productive than they truly be. You want to understand that the risk is very low for sleepers because you will be drafting them lower than usual, but the reward is very high for a sleeper. 
Don't get that confused with a bust in which the ADP is very low, i.e. they get drafted very early, but they have a very big risk potential attached to them. So just because you can get a star player lower than you think they should be drafted does not make them a sleeper. They very well could be a bust. And that's something that we're going to get into here. So I want to separate this by position and talk about all the sleepers I have for you. So let's talk about quarterbacks first. And for quarterbacks, I got Jameis Winston as my prime, prime sleeper for fantasy football this year. His ADP is 156, which means this guy is being drafted in like rounds 13, 14, even lower. In 2019, he averaged 19 points a game as a quarterback while throwing 30 interceptions. If Peyton can reduce those errors in any way, that point potential goes up significantly, significantly, even if he does not score as many touchdowns. You can get this person well in the bottom of your draft. He will have QB1 potential for you. It's a nice stash quarterback two that you don't have to spend a middle round pick on to make sure that you aren't screwed on a bye week or by injury. The second person I want to talk about is Tua. And Tua has an ADP of 152. Means he's drafted around the same area as Jameis Winston is. And I think, look, he was horrid last year. Horrid. I understand. But I think this is a year where he's primed for a significant breakout. New offensive quarter, uh, coordinator, new coaches around him to maximize his offensive potential and capability. They highly, highly upgraded the weapons they have on the outside, adding Will Fuller, adding Jalen Waddle in the draft. He's going to have significantly better targets to throw to, as well as. That offensive line he was behind is going to be all a little bit older, have more consistency with each other and reps with each other and should be better going into this next year. I think that this is a good QB2 upside. The upside is not as good as Jameis's, but it's something that I think you should definitely keep an eye out for. Let's go to running backs. And running backs are interesting to me. So first one is just like, Sony Michelle post this trade as someone that I think definitely, definitely, definitely should be getting drafted higher than he was before. His carries will go up per game with the Rams because there's just no one else really besides Daryl Henderson that can challenge him for him. He is the most talented running back in that room now and that's going to start to shine as the season goes on and I think he is going to be definitely a grower with your team the second one for me is Rondmordre Stevenson from the New England Patriots now this one look his ADP is also in the 150s you can see a trend going on here and in particular I am excited excited to see what he can do now that that New England's running back room is a little bit less clogged with Sonny Michelle leaving. He's going to get more carries because of that. A lot of the other running backs in New England are particularly going to be used for pass catching and blocking, but I think he's going to get those power carries where he is told to get those yards, churn, and move the sticks. He can break them off. He has played fantastic in preseason. And it's shown a lot of promise. And I understand a lot of people don't tell you to bet bank on preseason. But one thing that we know about Bill Belichick is he actually plays starters and players that matter in preseason a lot. Because he believes those reps are really important. And that film for his team making decisions is really important. Let's just hope this is not another Jonas Gray situation for all of my fantasy heads that are familiar with him going absolutely bonkers and scoring like 60 or 70 points depending on the league and then being cut the next week. My next one for you is James Robinson. His ADP is at 37.5, so this is definitely a much higher pick than a lot of the other sleepers I will give you. But with the Travis Etienne injury, I think this guy is primed for another breakout season. He was running back seven 
last year. And that's a third round ADP for a top seven running back in the league from last year, nearly fourth round, if you're in a 10-man league. And I think that he's going to have a similar workload than he did last year. They're going to be significantly in more games than they were last year with Trevor Lawrence, which means they're not going to have to abandon the run as early as they had to in other years. And people are going to respect the pass more with Trevor Lawrence there. He's outperformed guys like Josh Jacobs, Kareem Hunt, Ezekiel Elliott, and Nick Chubb last year. People are still asleep on James Robinson, former Illinois State Go Redbirds alum. Now let's get into wide receivers. My biggest wide receiver sleeper for this season is Marquez Callaway. ADP of 135. That is late, late, late round pick potential. And the one reason why you got to love this guy is target share. Target share, target share, target share. He has shown a lot of flashes in the preseason. They will have no Michael Thomas for the foreseeable future. They let Emmanuel Sanders go to the Bills. And this guy has wide receiver one potential and target share. With this ADP, we're talking 12th round, 11th round. That's nuts. That is nuts. You can't even really name any of the other receivers on the New Orleans Saints. But somebody's going to have to catch those balls. One of their wide receiver twos is Ty Montgomery, who we thought was the running back in all his other stops, but is now playing receiver. So that should show you how shallow this receiver room is and how much work Marquez Callaway is going to get this season. My next one for you is Darnell Mooney. He had 98 targets last year, 631 yards and four touchdowns in his rookie season. He has an ADP of 122 right now. That's big play potential. He has the ability to catch three passes and ruin another team's week. This guy is going to take a step going into his sophomore season for sure. The combination of Andy Dalton and or Justin Fields at quarterback for for this entire year, basically, should mean that the offense is going to be significantly more prolific than it was last year and give him those big play shots for him to put points on the board and possibly steal you a couple games here and there. My third guy is Jacoby Myers. And this is a high floor pick, in my opinion. Myers saw the most work in a terrible, terrible, terrible New England Patriots passing offense last year. He had 59 catches, 729 yards. He had 26% of the overall targets on the team. That was seventh among wide receivers in the league period last year. ADP of 155, another guy really far down that you are able to pick up, and he is definitely going to be able to slide in on a bye week, slide in a flex spot, and give you a pretty good floor. It's clear that if you think Cam is starting, he is Cam's favorite target on the Patriots, clearly from last year and going into this year, and I think he is going to replicate that production going forward the last thing i want you to look into is and this is going to be hard for me to give you all this one but lions wide receivers lions wide receivers amon st brown amon ross st brown and brashad perriman are the two that i think you should look at brashad's uh adp is 255 So he's probably just a waiver wire watch, if we're being honest. But Amon is getting picked up in the 164 range. So in deeper leagues, bigger leagues, these are two guys that you can definitely stash and have. A lot of people will be saying, well, maybe Tyrell Williams is the right choice there because he has had the most productive season out of all of them. I don't see it. The real reason why you're looking at Lions receivers is because somebody, somebody has to catch passes. Jared Goff is not an absolute scrub. He's going to put points up on the board. Who is catching those balls? It's going to be one of these guys. Money for a lot of people is an Amon Ra, St. Brown, but he is a rookie. 
We don't know how fast he's going to develop and adjust to the game, but it is nice that he's gotten a full training camp, unlike rookies from last year. Rashad Perriman has shown that potential in multiple other areas, has been able to put up good fantasy points in stretches, but has never been able to be consistent. So definitely has a high risk when you lock him into a lineup. Now, next, I want to get into the tight ends. The tight ends for me, they're very interesting. The reason why the tight ends are interesting for me, because if you're not getting a top three, top four tight end, I think that you are much, much better off waiting until the later rounds to pick up your tight end instead of in the middle rounds, which I feel gives you negative value. So if you aren't getting a Travis Kelsey, a Darren Waller, a Mark Andrews type, wait for a sleeper. The intermediate guys have way too much bust potential for that draft position. When it comes to a standpoint of a tight end position in which most of the scoring for these guys are scrunched up together and then a couple guys break out ridiculously. So I'm talking about like the Gronks, the Cal Pitts, the TJ Hawkinsons. I'm saying definitely stay away from in those er mid-early rounds, like round three, round four, round five even. So here's my first sleeper for you all. Logan Thomas, ADP of 83. He was a top seven tight end last year. Better than Gronk, better than Jonu Smith, better than Jimmy Graham, better than Noah Fant, better than Dallas Goddard. People are drafting a lot of those players before they are drafting Logan Thomas. He had 72 catches, 670 yards, and six touchdowns last year. People are sleeping on the Washington football team's offense and their willingness to sling the ball, adding Ryan Fitzpatrick to this team. This is huge growth potential. This last year was the first year that Logan Thomas saw anywhere near that type of target share in an offense before, and he turned that into four times his average production. People will tell you this is a regression candidate. I am saying this is a progression candidate. Next is Tyler Higby. And for Tyler Higby, I have him at an ADP of 134. That's projected to be around tight end 15. But if you think about it, he has lost a lot of his target competition. Gerald Everett has moved on. This is a high-powered offense, and we know McVay wants to push the ball, move it around, loves using his tight ends, and should theoretically have a better quarterback under center with Matt Stafford that should allow Tyler Higby to eat at 134, his potential to give you 10-plus points, especially in PPR, consistently will be huge, especially coming from the tight end spot. My last guy is Noah Fant, ADP of 120. I think he will actually largely benefit from having Teddy Bridgewater who we know will play it safe, take the high percentage throws, usually to the easier routes, such as the tight ends. In a PPR league, he might actually end up eating significantly playing with a guy like Teddy Bridgewater instead of a guy who's trying to make the play happen like Drew Locke. Last year, he had 62 catches, 673 yards, and three touchdowns. I expect his red zone usage to also go up this season. And he is someone that I think you should be definitely on the lookout for. Now let's get into bust. And when we want to talk about bust, these are guys that I think you're probably going to take way too high based off the places that other people are taking them. The first one is Odell Beckham Jr. He has an ADP of 69. That's better than T. Higgins who was wide receiver 28 last year, mind you, B, 908 yards, six touchdowns, who's being picked at least a round or two later. That is higher than people are taking Antonio Brown, who has an ADP of 85, two or three rounds later. Big sleeper alert, if you ask me. He was on pace for a 1,000-yard season last year. Last but not least is Robbie Anderson on here. Odo Beckham is also being picked three or four rounds above Robbie Anderson at an ADP of 93. He was wide receiver 28, had 1,100 yards, 95 catches, and three touchdowns, pushing into a system with a better quarterback behind it, with a running game, 
behind it now with Christian McCaffrey coming back and the addition of Chuba Hubbard. I think that these people, Antonio Brown, Robbie Anderson, et cetera, aren't necessarily sleepers, but if you're drafting OBJ that high, you are in for big bust potential, especially because we have never seen OBJ and Baker Mayfield click. The next one for me is Kenny Galladay at an ADP of 74. There are injury issues, offensive line issues with the Giants, a lot of targets to go around with for the Giants. We don't really know what that offense is going to actually be. High-risk candidate you're drafting in the seventh round when guys like Antonio Brown, Robbie Anderson, and T. Higgins will also be on the board, and I think definitely safer picks. Now, we'll move on to running backs. And running backs, I have a thing for here. The first one I want to say is Jonathan Taylor, and I need people to understand where I'm coming from with Jonathan Taylor. It's not that I think Jonathan Taylor is bad or a bust, but the fact that he is being drafted in the first round, people are drafting him as high as four, as low as nine, and that is absolutely way too high. There are comparable options that you can pick this season, such as Austin Eckler and Antonio Gibson, that I think have way less risk attached to them for this season. That's really going to be my it on Jonathan Taylor, because I do think he's a stud. I don't think that he is going to ruin your team if you pick him. But I definitely think you are not picking for value at that area where you can pick some other people significantly lower. My next two are DeAndre Swift and Miles Sanders, similar ADPs in the mid thirties. And I think these teams are difficult for two reasons. Both of those teams are quite bad. The lions quite bad. The Eagles quite bad. They're going to be in a lot of negative game scripts where they have to give up on their run, which could end up backfiring for these running backs, being able to put up points and actually be useful. The second is other people cutting into their workload that we have not really given enough credit or seen. The addition of Jamal Williams with the Lions is actually going to be big. I think he's going to steal some carries from DeAndre Swift. They're going to want to use two backs frequently, and that could end up actually costing a ton at that ADP that you have him at mid-30s. That's third round, early third round. Now, when it comes to the Philly situation, Miles Sanders is going to lose runs, not only to Boston Scott, but also to Jalen Hurts playing quarterback. I think those things are going to be quite difficult for that production that people want to see for him, especially at that ADP being drafted that high. My last one is Darrell Henderson. Obviously, people started drafting him really high after Cam Akers got hurt. With the Sonny Michelle trade, this should be obvious, and i gotten into it above. Now, there are no really big, big busts at tight end for me. I feel like people are drafting the likes of TJ Hawkinson and Cal Pitts a little too high for my liking, but that's mostly just because of the value that you get from middle-tier tight ends just really not being worth it, in my opinion. When we talk about quarterbacks, the guys that are going to do it, do it. I see a lot of hype for Jalen Hurts. He has an ADP of 91. I think this team is going to be an absolute disaster. People are really banking on his dual threat capability, being able to give them points on the through the air as well as in the run game. I want to say that temper your expectations on him. He's a good quarterback to quarterback three stash, but that's about it for me. Now, handcuffs. The last thing I want to talk to you all about are handcuffs for today. And these are the guys that you want to grab at the really late rounds if you can. Because barring an injury or somebody that has a very established role getting hurt, they can come in behind them and really do damage for those weeks that they have all those carries that they usually don't see. And I think it's important for running backs in particular that you have good running back handcuffs. The first is going to be Chuba Hubbard for Carolina, packing up Christian McCaffrey. The second one is for Marlon Mack in Indiana. He is, whenever he's been healthy, always been quite productive and very good, but definitely has been supplanted by Jonathan Taylor. 
The third is Javante Williams in Denver, supplanting Melvin Gordon, the the third, I think. Uh, Obviously, Sonny Michelle of Daryl Henderson goes down. A.J. Dillon with the Packers. If anything, God forbid, happens to Aaron Jones. And one wide receiver handcuff I want to give you that's actually quite important for an offense is going to be extremely dynamic through the air, but poor on the run game is Gabriel Davis and Buffalo. If either Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, or Emmanuel Sanders end up having to miss time, Gabriel Davis is the clear number four guy that's going to slide in. He can fill the Emmanuel Sanders slot very well or the Cole Beasley positioning very well and definitely end up putting up high productivity numbers very quick in an offense like the one in Buffalo. Those are my tips and tricks to win your fantasy football league. Let me know. Am I missing any sleepers? I want to know what you all think and good luck in your fantasy drafts. Galatani Playboy. All right. Welcome to the final segment of the show, the heart of the show, Ballers Bouquet. Too often in the media, people only focus on the negative and salacious things athletes do and never want to give them their credit where credit is due. Here, I like to make a change. And this week's Ballers Bouquet goes to Indianapolis Colts quarterback Carson Wentz for his AO1 Foundation and their $250,000 donation to Mission of Hope and their Haiti earthquake relief efforts. Now, these funds that they're providing are going to be used to provide medical supplies and shelter to a lot of people who desperately need it. A 7.2 earthquake hit Haiti in mid-August, and there have been over 2,000 fatalities and 12,000 people injured. It has led to an overwhelming of hospitals and any relief efforts that they can have. A lot of those relief efforts have also been hit on the backside as well by rain and mudslide and, and other really difficult terrain issues caused by the earthquake. This earthquake is a huge, huge blow because in 2010, Haiti was also hit by another seven-point earthquake. Then they also had to deal with the hurricane earlier in 2020 and other hurricanes and tropical storms since. So Haiti has really not been able to get a break and just start to rebuild fully before getting hit with another disaster. Shortly after everybody found out about this, Carson Wentz and his wife reached out to Mission of Hope and through their AO1 Foundation began working with them. And they started giving them money to be able to reach people, give them the medical supplies that they need, give them the shelter that they need because a lot of people's homes have been destroyed because of this earthquake. This is not Carson Wentz or the AO1 Foundation's first act towards Haiti. In fact, they have been keeping that same energy since 2017. They've been built a sports complex in Haiti, complete with locker rooms, bathrooms, showers, sports courts, turf courts, etc., impacting over 15,000 children a year. Now, the Mission of Hope, which they are partnered with, works with nearly 600 local partners in Haiti, including churches, schools, orphanages, nonprofits, etc., to make sure that they are able to disseminate all the care and help that the Haitian people need in this time of crisis. This is something that Carson Wentz has a unique, unique feel for. In fact, he has traveled to Haiti multiple times, taking different teammates with him to be able to give back to people that really need it a lot and have had to deal with a lot of terrible natural disasters. So if this is something that you can get behind, you can donate as well by going to AO1Foundation.org org to help the people of Haiti. And that was this week's Ballers Bouquet. The, 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 the fly route pod. The fly route pod. The fly route pod. The fly route pod. 
All right, all right. That is it for episode 49 of the Fly Route podcast. We are basically about to become a year old soon. That is insane. As always, I appreciate all of you all for rocking with me through this entire journey. Whether you're listening on YouTube, Audia, Spotify, Apple Music, every view is appreciated, every like is appreciated, every subscription is appreciated, and most importantly, share the pod with a friend that you think might enjoy one of the segments that we have. That is how we grow, and that is really why you all mean everything. And I cannot wait to give you episode 50 next Friday. The, 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 the fly route pod, the fly route pod, the fly route pod, the fly route pod.